will tomorrow ever come? Huh. Hmm, why can a fish get seasick? I have a question. Why does the Easter Bunny bring eggs if rabbits do not lay eggs? The opposite of opposite the same or opposite? What? Why is a pizza box square when a pizza is round? If the truth is different for each of us, how can we call it the truth? If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to hold it up right now, either a printed copy like I have here or a digital copy on your phone, and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error first matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your copy of God's Word to two passages of Scripture. Both of them are toward the end of your Bible, James chapter 5, James chapter 5, and then 1 John chapter 5. Just turn to those two chapters and then hold your place there for a while. Years ago, when I was 18 years of age, I wasn't in a very good place. I wasn't making wise decisions, and truth be told, I was living a self-destructive life. One night, I was out with some of my friends, and, and because of me, one of my friends started doing some things that caused him to get deathly sick. That was a, an eye-opening moment in my life. God used that to get my attention. And around 2 o'clock that morning, I left my dorm room. I went out by a pond, and I just fell on my face before God. And I begged God to forgive me. I begged God to change me. And I begged God to use me. And he did. That night, he changed my heart. The next morning, I got up, and I wanted to tell my mom what God had done. And this was before cell phones, and so I had to find a payphone there in Charleston. I went to that payphone. I called my mom, and I said, Mom, I want you to know that I'm okay. And my mom said, I know. And that startled me. It confused me. And I said, Mom, how do you know that I'm okay? And she said, because last night I couldn't sleep, and, and I was up praying for you, and around 2 o'clock, God spoke to me very clearly and said, Rocky is okay. I am so thankful that I had a mother who prayed for a wayward son. I want to fast forward about 18 years. I was pastoring in the upstate of South Carolina, and God was doing some incredible things in people's lives. He was setting people free from, from alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and he was even setting people free from Satan worship. And um, we were seeing really a revival take place among young people there in that upstate town. And one night, one of these young men who had been set free from drug addiction and Satan worship came to our house. And he brought 
one of his friends so we could talk to him about Jesus. And we sat there for several hours and talked to this young man about Jesus. And, and he didn't give his heart and life to Jesus, but we left feeling good. He left feeling, he left, and we felt good about the conversation. But later on that night, my wife and I were in bed, and, and as I thought my wife was laying there asleep, a sudden fear just came over me. The kind of fear that terrifies you. I was literally scared to death. I turned to my wife and, and very softly, because my wife goes to sleep almost as soon as her head hits the pillow, I said softly, are you awake? And she said, yes, I'm awake. And I said, are you afraid? And she said, I'm scared to death. And I said, let's pray. And there in our bed, I began to pray, and I began to ask God to give us his peace that passes understanding. I asked the blood of Jesus to just, to just cover us in our home, and nothing happened. And I felt like that wasn't enough, so I got down on my knees before God beside the bed, and I began to cry out to Jesus, pleading the blood of Jesus over our house. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew some kind of war was taking place. Because we were both scared out of our minds. As I was praying, my wife later told me that she saw two demons fleeing our house. And she saw an angel on our front stoop. Now that sounds weird, that sounds strange. But that's what she said she saw. What I know is that in the moment she said she saw that, a peace that is beyond my ability to explain came over both of us. And we knew that we were in God's hands. And we knew that we were safe. And we knew that God answered our prayers. Just over a month ago, early in the morning, late night, early morning on July the 2nd, we got a call from our son Matthew that Emily's water had broken. He needed to take her to the hospital, and so we got up. We rushed over to their house to watch the girls, and, and they went to Richland, and when they got to Richland, Richland said, we can't do anything, so Matt got Emily in the car, and he flew her in the car to Charleston to the medical university where Emily proceeded to have labor. Well, early afternoon, Sherry was in the kitchen, and she told me that she felt compelled to just get on her knees and pray for God to heal baby Asa once again. And so with Anna Joy and Ellie Mae sitting at our kitchen table, Sherry got on her knees there beside that island in our kitchen and began to pray. But she said, God clearly told her, you need to go into the bedroom and you need to have Rocky pray with you. And so she came into the bedroom. I was in bed. I'd had back surgery just the Wednesday before. And she said, we need to pray for God to heal baby Asa. And we began to pray together. But I've got to confess to you that Sherry was praying much more passionately than I was praying. And all of a sudden, she began to pray, Lord, do it now. Do it now. And she just continued to say that over and over and over again. Lord, do it now. Do it now. And my wife later told me that as she was praying, she saw in her mind's eye 
the hand of God reach into Emily's womb and touch baby Asa. I didn't see that. I don't know what she saw. But what I do know is God healed baby Asa. God answers prayers. Now today, yeah, let's give God a hand. Now today we're continuing our series Q&A. Your questions, the Bible's answers. And our question today has to do with prayer. I want to read this question to you. My mom needs clarification on who you pray to. She recently asked me if God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father were all the same person. Scripture tells us to pray all the time for everything. How do we continue praying when it seems God isn't answering? How how do you not get discouraged in the wait for months and years? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed and it seemed like God just didn't answer? Maybe you've prayed for something for weeks, for months, for years, and, and it seems like God is silent. Can you relate to that? I know that I can relate to that. So the question we want to ask is, answer is, does God answer prayers? Do my prayers matter? Or is God going to do what God is going to do regardless of my prayers? Well, the question we got in really were several questions. So I want to answer the first two first. First of all, who do we pray to? And the question asks, is God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all the same person? And the answer to that question is no. The Bible says they are not the same person. They are the same God. There is one God, but they are three different persons. They are three different personhoods. That's the triune nature of God, one God in three persons. So who do we pray to? Or to be honest with you, I don't think that God is up in heaven saying you got it wrong in how you prayed. I don't think God is that concerned about that. But here's how I think you should pray. We pray to the Father in the name of His Son Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray to the Father in the name of His Son Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we are to pray about all things all the time. I heard someone say one time that I seldom pray over an hour at a time. But I hardly ever let an hour go by without praying. And I think that's a good way to live our life. There are times and there are seasons that that I have prayed for over an hour. But to be honest with you, There aren't many seasons where I've prayed for over an hour. But I can say that that as I go through my day, I find myself praying throughout the day about whatever I am facing, whatever I am going through, whatever is before me, whatever need has come to my attention. You see, God is concerned about every area of our life. He's concerned about the big things. And he's concerned about the small things. There is nothing too small that is going on in your life that God isn't concerned about. So the question, does God answer our prayers? And the answer is, without a shadow of a doubt, yes, absolutely, God answers our prayers. But 
You need to understand that God is not some genie in a bottle that we rub in prayer and then he is obligated to give us our three wishes. That's not who God is. God is the all-powerful, sovereign God of creation. He created everything in the heavens and he created everything on earth. There is nothing that is above God. And God did not create us so that he could serve us. God created us so that we could serve him. And yet I am afraid that many, even many in the church, have gotten that backwards. We have this idea that somehow, some way, God is at our disposal, ready to grant us whatever whim we ask of him. And that's not who God is. So let's talk about prayer. As we look at the Bible, we see that sometimes we pray and, and God says no. We clearly see this in the story of David and Bathsheba. Do you remember the story? David was the king of Judah. He was a, a, a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. He sought after, he searched after God. But in a moment of weakness, David dropped his guard and he committed adultery and he committed murder. Because of that sin, the Bible tells us that David went into a season of spiritual despair and anguish that affected him physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, in every way imaginable. After a season of time, Nathan the prophet went to David to confront David with his sin. And when he was confronted, David confessed his sin. He repented of that sin. And yet, even though he confessed his sin and repented of his sin, there were consequences. I want you to listen to what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba. She had gotten pregnant. She had had a baby. And God sent a deadly illness to this child. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food. He lay all night on the bare ground. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? David saw them whisper and he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day. But he cannot return to me. David had asked forgiveness for his sin he prayed and he fasted asking God to spare his son but his son still died 
there were consequences for David's sin that God wasn't going to remove. You see, God doesn't always answer our prayers regardless of how diligent we pray, regardless of how much we fast, regardless of how much God loves us and cares for us. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers. But notice David's attitude toward God. When God didn't answer his prayer, what did he do? He didn't get mad at God. He didn't blame God. He didn't turn his back on God. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped God. He trusted God even though God did not answer the prayer that he lifted up. What about you? When God doesn't answer your prayers, are you still going to praise him? Like the song says, are you going to praise him in the midst of the storm? But as we look through the Bible, we also see that sometimes we pray and God gives us what we ask even when it's not our best. It's not the best thing to do. And we see this in the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. He was a godly king in, in the line of Judah. He, he, he was one of the most godly kings that Judah had. I want you to listen to the story that tells us about God answering prayers. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you're going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I've always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had even left the middle courtyard, the message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says, I have heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, I will heal you. And three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you from this, and this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. Now, God supernaturally healed Hezekiah. The Bible clearly says that he gave Hezekiah 15 more years. But what you need to understand is that during those 15 years, Hezekiah made some foolish mistakes. Hezekiah developed a proud spirit that ultimately led to the king of Babylon coming and destroying Judah and Jerusalem. But not only that, during these 15 years, Hezekiah had a son whose name was Manasseh. And Manasseh was the wickedest of all the kings to ever rule in Judah. He was so wicked that he even burned his own son to pagan gods. That's how wicked he was. And all of this happened because Hezekiah would not desire the perfect will of God. You see, sometimes that's how we are. Our desire for what we want is more than our desire for what God wants. And so I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to pray, not my will, but yours be done, God? 
As you pray, are you willing to say, God, this is what I really want. But if it's not what you want, then don't give it to me. Because I want your best. Now before we take a few moments to look at how we can pray powerful prayers, because I think we can, I want to talk to you about some hindrances to our prayers. Because you need to understand that there are some things that can hinder your prayer life. Here's the first thing. When we pray with selfish motives, it hinders our prayers. In James chapter 3, or James chapter 4, verse 3, James says this. He said, yet even when you do pray, your prayers are not answered because you pray just for selfish reasons. You need to ask yourself, why am I asking God for what I'm asking him for? James is very clear that when we pray with selfish, self-centered um, desires, our prayers are not guaranteed to be answered. You see, that's the problem with the whole prosperity gospel movement. And it's so easy to convince ourselves that we are praying these things, God's blessings, so that God can receive the glory. When our real motivation is we simply want things. You see, many of us are longing for a life of ease and comfort, a life where we can buy whatever we want when we want. And it seems that that list never gets fulfilled. I've discovered that for most of us, our need list grows as our bank account grows. In other words, the more that we have, the more it seems that we need. But we need to understand that life isn't about our comfort. Life isn't about our convenience. Life is about God's glory. And my desire in everything that I do, my desire in everything that happens to me, every situation I face, is that God would receive glory through my life. You see, it's not that God gives me what I want. It's that whether he gives it to me or not, I am going to praise him and glorify him regardless because he is worthy of the praise. And so we pray with selfish motivation. Check your motives. The second hindrance is unconfessed sin. L listen to what David said in Psalm 66. He said, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord wouldn't have listened. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, listen. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. The Bible makes it crystal clear that our sin separates us from God. And we are foolish to believe that God will answer our prayers when we are unwilling to repent and turn from our sins. It amazes me today how many people are living in open sin, unwilling to confess the sin and turn from the sin that they are living in, and yet they have this idea that they can pray and God's going to answer their prayers. He's not. Unconfessed sin in your life is going to keep God from responding to your prayers. Sexual sin, financial sin, attitudinal sin, it doesn't matter. When we have sin in our life, 
that we haven't confessed and turned from, that sin is going to hinder the power of our prayers. The third hindrance is strife. When Peter talks specifically about strife in the home, I want you to listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is an equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Did you hear that? The Bible makes it clear that as a husband, if I am not treating my wife with respect and honor, if I'm not cherishing her, that is going to hinder my prayer life. But understand, I don't think this passage just speaks to husbands. I think it speaks to the entire family dynamic. Wives, when we're not treating our husbands the way we should, it's going to hinder our prayer life. Children, when we are not honoring our parents the way we should, it's going to hinder our prayer life. But strife isn't just something that is found in the home that affects our prayer life. The Bible teaches that strife affects our prayer life, period. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Did you hear that? I mean, that's a big stinking deal. Jesus said that, that if I refuse to forgive someone who has sinned against me, the Father is not going to forgive me. I don't know about you, but, but I don't want that to happen. I need God's forgiveness. You need to understand that when you have bitterness and animosity and resentment and a lack of forgiveness in your heart toward people, it affects your prayer life. That's why, listen, when I pray, one of the things I always do is I confess my sins. And as I do, I say, God, search me. You know my heart. Show me if there is any wicked thing in me. And I ask God, God, is there anything in a relationship? God, is there anything that I've said today? God, is there anything that I've done and how I've treated someone that I need to confess, I need to get right? Because when we're out of kilter with other people, that affects our prayer life. But then there's one final hindrance, and that is a lack of faith. James was talking about praying for wisdom. He, he said this in James 1. He said, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. So the Bible says that when we doubt, when we don't have faith, that affects our prayer. I think about the conversation Jesus had with the father who brought his son to Jesus. And Jesus said, anything is possible to the person who believes. And do you remember what that father said? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And can I tell you that I prayed that prayer multiple times? Lord, I believe. But I, I know that there's parts of me that don't believe. Lord, I know you can, but I don't know if you will. You see, I, I, I believe that when we pray in faith, we're not only believing God can, 
I believe that when we pray in faith, we're believing that God will. And with every ounce and with every fiber of our being, if we are praying something to God, we need to know with all of our heart that this is something God wants to do. And we need to pray with every ounce of our being, believing that God is going to give us what we ask for. Now, I've got to tell you, there have been times when I've prayed that way. God hasn't given me what I've asked for. I, I can vividly remember years ago praying for the mother of a friend of mine who had cancer. She was dying. And God was doing some incredible things in this church. And I just, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that God was going to do a miracle and heal this woman. She died. And I struggled with that. Because I knew with all my heart she was going to be healed. And God spoke to me, spoke to my spirit later on and said, Rocky, I did heal her. She's never going to be sick again. She's going to receive that new body that I've promised to all those who love me. But understand, I was praying with every ounce of my fiber, believing that God was going to heal her. And you need to try with all your being to pray that way. You don't just believe God can do something because God can do whatever he wants. He's God. When you're praying, you need to believe that God will do something. So how do we pray confidently knowing that God will answer? Well, I want us to look at the James 5 passage and the first John passage for just a couple of moments. First of all, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Listen to what it says. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you will be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. You know, James begins by saying if you're suffering, suffering hardships, you should pray. That word often described an internal distress brought on by external circumstances. You see, when life gets tough, we don't grumble, we don't complain we don't wallow in self-pity we don't whine we pray now, now notice prayer doesn't assure us that our troubles will go away but prayer does assure us that God will give us the grace to make it through those troubles so he says are you suffering hardship pray and then then he says are you happy pray sing songs of praise that's prayer when I'm in the valley I pray when I'm on the mountaintop, I pray. And then he says, is someone sick? Pray. But notice what James says here. He says that this sick is the one who initiates the prayer. The sick is the one who calls for the elders and asks them to pray and anoint them with oil. It's not the elders 
that is starting this process. It's the sick person. You see, the person who is sick needs to have the faith to believe that God's going to intervene in their situation and heal them. But let me warn you, you need to listen. We're all going to one day have a sickness that leads to death. Every single one of us. Newsflash. Nobody dies healthy. You don't die healthy. You say, well, people could die in an accident. They could be in a car wreck and their lung could collapse and they die. Well, is a collapsed lung healthy? No, if your body is broken up because you've been in a car crash, you're not healthy. We don't, we don't die healthy. We die because our body is not functioning the way that it is supposed to function. And death is the result of life on planet earth. Every single one of us, apart from those who are here when Jesus returns, every single one of us is going to die. One day, you're going to have a sickness unto death. So you need to understand that. There's going to come a time when you pray this prayer that it's not going to be answered the way that you think it needs to be answered. But let me tell you something. I don't want to live for all eternity in this body. My back feels better than it did feel, but it still hurts. I've got two brand new knees. They still ache. And I've got aches and pains all over my body. I don't want this body forever. I want a new body. And I want a body that is free from sin, amen? Because I got to tell you, though I love Jesus passionately, I struggle with the sinful nature that is still within me. And like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, I can, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that there is a war raging within me between the spirit and the flesh. And it is a war that goes on each and every day. And I'm thankful that one day I'm going to get a body that's not going to have this sinful flesh anymore. And so hear me. Uh, understand, we pray for people to get well. We pray for supernatural healing. But we need to understand that this body, which we presently have, isn't the one God's got for us. He's got a new suit he wants us to wear for all eternity. And praise God, when we get it, we are going to be happy. Then he tells us we need to pray when someone sins. That what he's telling us here is we need to pray over every season and every need of life. And then James gives us an amazing promise and an example. He says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he gives us an example, the example of Elijah. And he tells us Elijah was a human being just like us. Elijah wasn't some supernatural being. Elijah was no different than us, and yet he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. And, and then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. God answered his prayers. He was no different than us, and that's what God is trying to tell us. Elijah was just like you and I, no different. He had no supernatural power, and yet he prayed in faith, believing, and God answered he was a man who was right with God. He prayed bold, powerful prayers, and he saw wonderful, supernatural results. So when we're right with God, and we pray fervent, bold prayers, I believe God steps in and answers. But then God, John gives us a word about prayer. 
He says this in 1 John 5. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Can I stop there for just a minute? Oh, goodness, that song that we sang right before I came up. I, I don't know about you, but at the 8 o'clock services, we're singing that song. I could just see because I realized that this is what I need to do as I pray. Maybe you need to do it too. But when it talked about the veil is torn and we enter into the throne room and we see the glory as we kneel before him, I thought, man alive, as we pray, we need to visualize the Father on the throne, the Son right beside him, and we're entering into that throne room, and we're able to enter it boldly because of our relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus. But as we enter it in, we are overcome with the glory of God. And that's why we're just, we're, we're just crawling in. Because God is worthy of our glory. He says this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now notice how John begins. We can have confidence when we approach God. But the reason we can have confidence is because we want his will. Did you hear me? The reason that you and I can have confidence as we approach the throne room of God is because we desire God's will, not ours. Isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Didn't he say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Isn't that how Jesus prayed when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane about to face the cross? That cruel, agonizing death? Did he, did he pray, Lord, take this cup from me? He, he didn't want to go through what he was about to go through. But then he prayed, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, let me tell you right now, the desire of every child of God should always be the perfect will of God. And sometimes God's perfect will doesn't match our human will. But our desire should always be to bend and to bow and submit to God's perfect will, knowing that God's perfect will is always best. So let me ask you, do you have a desire to, to follow God's will, regardless of what it is? I believe with all my heart, when we pray, seeking to find God's will, God answers. I read a book two weeks ago that it talked about George Mueller, and it told a story about how George Mueller, when he prayed about something, he never prayed about it until he went to God's Word, and he found in God's Word where there was a promise from God about what he was about to pray for. And until he found a promise that revealed that what he was about to pray for was God's will, he would never pray it. And so the reason George Mueller went so boldly before the throne of God and the reason he saw so many prayers answered, he was a prayer warrior, is because he always went to God's word, finding God's will, and he prayed God's will. One of the things we know that God always wants is God wants people to be saved. The Apostle Paul said, this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved. Come to a knowledge of the truth. 
you can interpret that verse any way you want to, but you can't interpret out of it the fact that God's desire is that everybody be saved. God's desire is that everybody come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants that. And so when we're praying for people to be saved who are far from God, we can know that we're praying the same thing God wants. For several years, I've been praying fervently for a nephew of mine and the son of a friend of mine to be saved. God hasn't answered either of those prayers yet. But I in faith am believing that God's going to do it. Both of those young men are far from God right now. But I believe God wants them to be saved as much as I want them to be saved. So I can pray boldly that prayer. Now, does that promise they're going to be saved? I don't understand everything, and I know that God gives us a free will, and I don't think that God's going to force his will on us if we don't want it. But I do believe with all my heart, when we pray in God's will, God is going to move the process in such a way that's going to cause the opportunities to take place for what we're praying for. And so when we pray for people to be saved, we're praying that their, their eyes will be open, their ears will be open, that God will, will set them free from whatever the chains are that bind them. We're praying that God will put somebody into their path that will share the gospel with them that they look up to, that they respect, that they admire. We pray very specific prayers in faith believing that God's going to answer our prayers. We don't give up. George Mueller, I told you about a minute ago, he was being interviewed several years before he died. And the interviewer was asking him about how he prayed and kept on praying in faith believing even though he didn't see the answer. And he, he gave an illustration. He said, I've been praying for two sons of a friend of mine for over 50 years. They're not saved yet. But then George Mueller said, but they're going to be. Fifty years he had been praying for these two men to be saved. Fifty years they hadn't been saved. George Mueller died. At his funeral, those two men came to faith in Christ. Oh, dear brother and sister, don't give up. Is it sometimes discouraging as we pray for weeks and months and maybe even years for God to do something that we really do believe is his perfect will? Yes, it can get discouraging, but we don't give up. We persist. We persevere. We knock and we knock and we keep on knocking. We ask, we ask, we keep on asking until the door is open. And God grants that request. Dear brother and sister, I believe with all my heart, God desires for his people to be prayer warriors. And that's what we're called to be. And that's what I'm asking you to make a commitment to be today. Make a commitment to be a prayer warrior because God does answer prayers. Do you want revival? Do you want our nation to turn back to God? It's not going to happen apart from prayer. It's not going to happen with political change. It's going to happen because of the prayers of God's people. If we want God to work, God works in response to our prayers.
become a prayer warrior. Now you may be here this morning and you're the person who's been prayed for. There may be someone here in this room who's been praying for you for weeks, for months, maybe even years to humble yourself before Jesus and give your heart to him. And maybe, just maybe, right now, God is tugging at your heart. He's letting you know that you need Jesus. Let me encourage you. Don't harden your heart. The Holy Spirit is tugging your heart, pulling you to Jesus. Humble yourself. Come to Jesus and let Jesus save you. Because life with Jesus is what you were created for. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. Father God, this is your time. And I ask you, Father, to have your way in each and every one of our lives. Father, I pray that that we will not leave here today without responding in obedience to what you're calling us to do. Lord, if it's to make a commitment to prayer, if it's to give our heart and life to you, if it's for something else, Father, I pray today we will not leave here without obediently responding to your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you-